on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there. Welcome back to another edition of The Big Fish. Women's fishing is going through the roof. And Nadia Taylor joins us to talk about the Women's Recreational Fishing League and the Big Brim X Tournament coming up on the Clarence. And some success with her niece at Lake Illawarra on the soft plastics. That's the first cast coming up for you on The Big Fish. WRFL. Now, it's nothing to do with rugby or rugby league. It's the Women's Recreational Fishing League, Joe Starling's initiative that has just skyrocketed. They have a fabulous social media presence, and I've never seen a better chat room on the messenger. Just so many women who love fishing. Nadia Taylor is one of them. Nadia, can you believe how many women out there, young and old, just love this, this recreational pastime of ours? How good is it though, Scott? Because I've never, you know, being a woman fishing, you're always sort of, you're always the, the, the sole woman, you know. <laughs> you're always someone that uh, is, is usually going with a bunch of blokes or you're sort of singled out because you don't, you just imagine you're the only one. But what this uh, WRFL's really done is it's really given a platform for women who are interested to get together and chat about fishing, which is just amazing. It's really um it's something that I've always wanted to do because, you know, when I, all those years ago, was in the Bar Apprentice program, having uh, those mentors like Joe Starling and Georgina Saunders and Vicky Winterlea, um, these people, these very generous women would help me with, with all this stuff and we could talk fishing and I could have all those conversations I'd only be dreaming of, you know, and uh, having that platform now available for, you know, any woman. Um, in Australia, or indeed anybody who wants to get on there and have a look, it's just not all the women on there either, um, to have that platform for women to feel comfortable, to have a chat, and to not be isolated or not to be made fun of, it's just it's empowering and it's exciting. And, and having spoken to Jo on this program since the inception, it's really her vision, isn't it? She's been very, very keen on cashing into the social currency of fishing, the, the, the way it bonds families, the way it gets people out and about, the way it creates community. Yeah, Joe certainly has. Like, um, like I was saying, with the Bar Apprentice program, that was only just for one female, you know. And I was very lucky to be that chosen female for a year. But Joe saw that vision of it being, you know, it changing a woman's life, which it absolutely changed mine. You know, my, my it wasn't just the, my fishing that improved; it was my life in general, my confidence, the fact that I could take my family out and share my passion with them, take the kids of the family out and show them how to tie knots, and it, it, it changed my life for the better and she saw um, that happen with all these females in that program and went well why limit it why can't we just make that platform bigger and have all the women who want you know who don't have the opportunity because you know I was very lucky my dad originally took me out on the water but he didn't really give me much shop especially when I caught a bigger fish than he (laughs) (laughs) but he didn't really show me and then he sort of disappeared in my life so I didn't have that opportunity until my hubby came along 
And even then, you know, it's it's that sort of situation where, yeah, my husband can show me, but to have a bunch of mates you can just talk fishing with and learn from and that you share all your tips and ideas and you don't you don't think of there being that gender bias or anything like that. You're just like a bunch of mates going fishing like everyone else does. Yeah, no so, mansplaining at all. What I've learned from being part of that, that chat group is that um, women will will talk just like, like men for hours about the... Uh, <laughs> the advantage of a, a grub tail wriggler as opposed to a paddle tail soft plastic. You know, the nuance of fishing, it's such a, such a great sport for getting right, drilling right down into the nitty-gritty that bores everyone else to tears, but we just love it, don't we? We certainly do, and all, all the time, you know, you and I fall in that trap too, Scott, where we just, you know, have a chat about fishing and minutes, hours pass, but the whole thing is is that um, it is such a beautiful thing to talk about something you're passionate about and to talk about things that you know other people might think you're mad or you're talking about whatever sort of weird fishing thing you are but then you come together and you chat online um to someone who who you've never met really except on for online and you're talking you know tackle gear technique what what worked in this weather or what worked in this light um a secret spot or a secret snag that you've got going that's really good. And to see that sort of sharing of knowledge, you know me, I'm a big fan of sharing my knowledge whenever I can or just, you know, sharing the love around. Um, To see that on on an online platform, which women are getting so excited about, gets me excited too. (laughs) Yeah, join that group. It's a Women's Recreational Fishing League. It's just fabulous and and so much help there, not a, a, an ounce of mansplaining in sight. We're speaking with Nadia Taylor. And Nadia, if people want to take it to the next level and really, uh, really uh, hone in on, on uh, light tackle you know, sports fishing techniques, the, the Brim X, the Bass X series, uh, that's something that they can have a, a crack at, that they can aspire to. I mean, these are people who are almost professionals, aren't they? Well, they certainly are professionals, but we don't sort of just, uh, you know, get the professionals along. The whole point of the Bassex and Brimex is to match professionals with beginners. So we actually have mentors with boats that take mentees as well, you know. So it's like the Bar Apprentice program in that way, where you have a beginner and a couple of people that have been fishing for a while to show them the ropes, you know, show them boat safety, show them how to catch fish and their ideas of, you know, how to fish structure and all that sort of stuff. So, and, you know, we have a day also before anyone starts of how to tie the knots. You know, there's like a bit of a workshop that you do. So we try and basically pair together those who experience and want to share their knowledge and those who've never fished before or even, you know, I know that at the um, the last uh, Bassex, we had a young, a very, very young girl who um, wanted to just learn how to fish. She was a beginner and she smashed it. So, you know, there's really... Um, it doesn't matter if you're a beginner and you want to get into fishing. Um, I myself did a talk on WRFL on how to get into fishing, you know, for a beginner because I wasn't that a beginner long, that long ago myself. So, you know, what tackle or what the basic sort of tackle that you need and, you know, and, and having a really strong woman who is really knowledgeable um, showing them the ropes without that mansplaining, which does happen on occasion. On the, you know, I'll be backing a trailer um, or are going to attempt to back a trailer on the um, on the boat ramp there, and even before I get in the car, a uh, gentleman will come to me and say, "Hey, would you like me to do that for you?" And it's like, "Look, I love you asking, but it's all right, I'll do it." And there's the look on their faces when you just, you know, 
do it yourself or you catch a bigger fish than them is always very rewarding. <laughs> That's just great. And, and they're getting pretty excited. I just logged on to the uh, Women's Recreational Fishing League New South Wales uh, site and uh, Karen uh, Van Bale wrote there on Thursday, shout out to the Nail Techs. I won't mention the company for my <laughs> uh, pre-comp Brimex nails. <laughs> She's How got these right? fantastic uh, <laughs> nails that are yellow, uh, blue and camo green and uh, full of good. full of shiny specks. They look absolutely fantastic. So oh, like... we need to we need to accessorize. It's you'll like never accessorize soft plastic, right? We got to make sure our shirts match our nails. You know? You'll so... never you'll never see anything like that. That that is just so cool. Um, yeah. So take us through this event. Um, you know, it's one that um, is is getting people very excited. How did the, the Bass X go? And and uh, take us through the Brim X. Yeah, well, the Bassex was a success. That was our first event that we had. Um, and based on the feedback and whatnot, we've got a, a bigger event this time, which is the, the Brimex. So the Brimex is going to be held in, in Yamba in late May. So if you, I think there might be a couple of spots left. So if you are interested, you know, you better head on. But uh, even if it's for next time, we're going to have these events regularly. And like I said, it's it's a structured sort of uh, three-day sort of thing. We Your first day on the Friday, we're going to get everybody in. You get to do a course, like I said, for not tying and basic sort of boat safety. You get introduced to um, the person you're going to be paired up with on the boat. Um, and it's a real bonding experience um, that we all sort of, you know, have dinner together. We all chew the fat and talk about fishing, which we all love. Um, then it's comp time. And then it's time for all of us, and it's still a competition base because you want to, you know, you want to have that bit of excitement having a comp as well. And this might be the only opportunity a beginner, you know, has the confidence or may not have a boat um, to, to to join in on the comp as well. Um, yeah, and we just have a great time on the water. We share everything uh, and all of our little secrets and tips and trips, tips and tricks. Because at the end of the day, this is all about women getting on the water. You know, we love fishing with our men, and our men have always supported us, but it's all about getting those women out on the water who possibly never had a fish, then also those people who have gained that experience, passing it on to, to the next generation. You just learn so much from a, a brim tournament angler. I went out with one a few years back on, on Brisbane Water and the Hawkesbury, and I still use the techniques. I've had so much fun uh, with walking the dog techniques that I learned there, a little Yamashita Maria lures that he was uh, sponsored by and, and, and we use, but there are plenty of others, you know, for that, that technique. And it is just something, once you learn it, it's so addictive. Um, I know, oh, yes. you know, fishing deeper with soft plastics will probably the, be the go at the uh, the Brimex event coming up at, at Yamba. But, um, you know... I want to give them a bit of variety. Definitely soft plastics is on the cards. Um, but, yeah, even, you know, those sort of, those walking the dog or, or sort of uh, the, had a jig and all that sort of stuff. Mm, that can mm. still can be tough. Little, little blades and things too. I mean, exactly. it, it just depends on the run and the and the oh. terrain and, and uh, the water clarity and the water temperature. And there's just so much to process. It's such a, a thinking person's pursuit, isn't it? That uh, that brim tournament, brim angling. And, and I just learned so much a, a day on the boat. You had one of those big, big ones. Which you can cover so much water too with those big bass boats um i'm glad he was paying for the petrol uh, just just <laughs> learned so much and then then went and took the 10 foot tinny out and anchored up or the kayak out and just just smashed it you know with those techniques so um it's a great great initiative and you get so much more out of your fishing once you know how to do it oh look i'm testament to that and let me tell you the uh, you know 
when I met my husband 20-something years ago now and um, he took me out. He saw that I was a bit keen and he encouraged me to go fishing. He could only teach me what he knew, you know, which was pretty and, – and, and sort of got me involved. But the amount of videos I used to get and those DVDs, you know, I used, I used to watch those uh, Bushy and Starlo ones over and over again. And um, But it's really until I had that one-on-one attention with someone who knew what they were doing, because even just casting, something as simple as casting, um, having someone next to you sort of show you what to do or how to tie a lure on or how to work something has improved my fishing from zero to hero. You know, it really has. I've, and I used to put in the work, I used to read all the magazines and, and uh, watch all the videos. Like I said, thankfully we've got YouTube now to watch videos, but all the telly shows, but really having that one-on-one, like you said, having someone show you what to do, it, it really sort of um, it fast-tracks your success. And that's what fishing is about because if you are getting successful in, in fishing and catching more fish, you're going to be more addicted. <laughs> so that's, that's what we're after, have people having a good time on the water and, and sharing their knowledge. So how do people sign up to get on the Clarence if it's not too late to, to do the Brimex? Oh, absolutely. Go on, on the uh, WRFL, uh, where you, there's a website, as well as the Facebook page. So please get up and join in. There is lots of information just pinned to the top of the page about um, about that. And if worse comes to us, please send any one of us a message. I, you know, um, Joe and, and the WRFL, all the, the women that are involved in that, are more than happy to help anyone along. And please message us, and we're more than happy mm. to hear from you and, and do whatever it is in the future to, to make sure that you, even if you're just having a chat with us online, it'd be love to, to talk to other women out there who are interested. I think it also shows the, the, the value of recreational angling, you know, the, the money that will be spent by these anglers up there on the Clarence uh, in the local community, you know, and, and then all the fish going back, none the worse for wear. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Fishing is always cool, but when you get to see a beautiful specimen and you get to see all everyone having a good time, big smiles on their faces and memories made forever and those fish get to go back safe into the waterway, honestly, it's, it's what makes me happy. It's my happy place, so great stuff. It also helps you to read those local waters too. If your, your mentor is uh, you know, a, a person who knows that, that area, uh, next time you go back, you're so much more... Uh, productive as well so it's just a, a win-win and what's your favorite uh, brim soft plastic at this time of year Nadia oh my soft plastic look I've always uh, been I love I love a blood room wriggler I'll always chuck that one on first but if all else fa- fails if you can get a probe prawn in cloud nine um, and and chuck that on a dickhead as well that's uh, very very happy but usually the, the pink lips as well in the squidgies they're usually my favorites there's a whole bunch of other sort of motorolly sort of colour ones that work on brim for me as well, but I'll always go for a squidgy first. I also have had a lot of success on those little mussels, the little lures. They're, they're um, sort of, you know, little muscle vibey things that are working at the moment for me for brim, if especially if you can see that they're near the rocks or structure like that, and then, you know, they're going to be munching yeah, on that. They're, they're an interesting lure, aren't they? The, the brim will pick those up static, will they? They do. Mm. Um, it, for me, you know, you sort of sort of leave it floating. I can't even get them to the bottom sometimes, to be honest with you, because they think that it's like a floating muscle, you know, just floating. It's fallen off 
you know, where it was sort of uh, situated and it's flapping away somewhere. So um, I like to fish very light. I usually, if there's current, I like to float them on the current as well. They seem to work very well for me. I also like a, a, a vibe. And it's or a soft vibe. Yeah, I do so, like a vibe. I do like uh, a vibe because you just get so much feedback from them on on light braid or, or gel spun, don't you? It just you feel that. Uh, that brrr is, is, isn't always working for you. You need to go a bit slower because I found that if you feel too much of the brrr, it's actually too much working the uh, working the vibe. So always, if the, if you're feeling the brrr and you're not getting fish, try and go a bit slower. And I guarantee you'll catch something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we were on Malakuta with Bushy, oh, and um, there were thousands of black brim. When they made that a recreational fishing haven, they used to take yeah. tons and tons of slow-growing uh, old black brim out of there, the commercials, and, and then they, they made it a recreational fishing haven. And he said when Vibes first came out, you could catch and release 100 big brim, and he said, now when they feel that, that vibe, they go the other way. <laughs> They've learned. But the old 100mm uh, squidgy wriggler with a very light uh, ball jig head, uh, that was deadly on the brim and the flathead. And the surface lures as well. He used one of those bent back surface lures. And, and uh, oh, it was just a, a revelation to watch him fish. And really light too, you know, because they're, they're so smart. And, and uh, yeah, it's just yeah. such a game within a game. I mean, that, that tournament brim fishing is just, uh, even if you not interested in that. You can learn so much if you want to catch a couple for a feed. You can learn so much from what they do. I, I agree. And this this whole idea of the mentors and the and the, the learners is a really clever uh, structure that Joe's uh, brought into the Brimex. Nadia, I believe you turned your niece on to uh, using soft plastics. Oftentimes the kids catch so many fish because they get a bit bored and they don't move it as much as the adults do. We get too fidgety with it, don't we? Oh, let me tell you, she is absolutely incredible um, the way that she works that. And, and you're right, we get all, all, all um, fussy over it and try. maybe we're not working it too much or not enough. But let me tell you, it's just a natural thing kids have where, you know, if they're keen and they're, they are working that plastic and she was listening to all the instructions, but she was also doing her own little thing and she was smashing it. She was catching more fish than me and my hubby combined. <laughs> oh, that's great. What did she catch? Oh, she caught a whiting, which on a soft plastic, you know, as you know, she was, um, we weren't targeting whiting. It was actually quite deep. Water. Well, she's obviously really showing the patience to, to get it to the bottom and then working it. You've got to really let it get to the bottom, haven't you, to catch whiting? Absolutely. And that's exactly what she was doing. And she was really good at the pauses, which doesn't always work with kids. You know, they get a bit excited um, and adults let's be honest right? oh yeah and, and having that sort of patience to just take up enough slack so you know that the fish has taken it on the pause too because that's when they'll grab it they will and you've got to be ready for that absolutely but um she she got a beautiful eating flatty as well that we we took home for her family and, and fed the whole family as well um which she was really proud of it and even to that um you know, I said to her, and, you know, shout out to Neve, by the way, out there, she's listening. And I said to Neve, um, look, we can take this home for your family and we can set it back. It was her choice and she'd never taken a fish home. So we took the flatty home because that would feed the, the whole family. And the beautiful thing was, was that she um, actually learned how to gut and, uh, you know, gut and clean that fish with me. We opened up the tummy and, um, and, and had a look at exactly what the fish was eating prior to eating our things, you know, matching the hats and all that. And we had it as a big educational, but we absolutely had to respect the fish. Um, so 
having that sort of availability with, with kids. And like I said, she was choosing her own lures. You know, she chose a bright pink one, which was <laughs> <laughs> great. And she out, outfished you, outfished, outfished you. By far. Outfished like, auntie. Oh, you know, my, my law anywhere near anything. I'd have a cast and she'd be on. I'm on. <laughs> the other thing is too that because they're catching so many fish, you're often unhooking them and putting them back, and and uh, you know you don't get your line in the water. But that's just such a great story. Was that on your George's River? Where were you catching those? No, that was actually down at Lake Illawarra, believe it or not. Sorry, so a Lake Lake Illawarra. Lake Illawarra down at Ah, oh, it's a great flathead. It's a great flathead water. Yes, that's what we were hoping to catch. She did catch a beautiful flathead. I think it was at about. From memory, it was in the 50s or, you know, like sort of mid to high 50s. Perfect, um, perfect eating size to take those fillets home. The sense of pride that little girl has. Uh, oh, well, it's just such a lovely story. Good luck to all of the anglers in the Brim X tournament coming up on the, the Clarence, so all part of the Women's Recreational Fishing League. Nadia Taylor, thanks for joining us again on The Big Fish. Thank you, Scott. Coming up on The Big Fish, have you ever wondered how a bloke called Stinker became one of our most prolific fishing writers in New South Wales. All revealed coming up next on The Big Fish. Right now, a little bit of lazy fishing music for you. Picture yourself on a tropical island, the line tied to your toe, in a hammock, a drink with an umbrella in it, maybe some pineapple and other stuff, possibly a bit of rum, lots of ice, and just swaying in the breeze. Take me there, please.
ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Here comes Tinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find him? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Morning, Stinker. Hey, g'day, Scott. I hear conditions aren't very favourable for what you do. You must be a bit uh, a bit frustrated by that. A bit, that's, yeah, that's the word, frustrated. The weather is just, oh, dear, I mean, because we had those huge seas, remember, not so long ago. And then um, what, we, what followed those huge seas, only a, a day or two later, the sea went as flat as a flounder. And really, that's no good to me either. I said, I either got too much or too little of the sea that I really require. So, uh, you know, and then the rains have came and the wind's blowing in the wrong direction. So my chances of catching a fish uh, haven't existed. The only thing we can do, Stinker, is go to the go to the bookcase and grab a fishing book, really. But when did you start writing fishing books? Where, uh, take us back to the very first one. Gee, with air, golly. Um, it's a long story, Scott. <laughs> I'll try, I'll do the best I can. But nearly 40 years ago, I started writing a fishing column in the local newspaper. Now, that went on and on and on until one day the editor, who was a friend of mine, come and said, oh, look, uh, John, he said, uh, I'm afraid we're going to have to go to... Um, You'll have to email me your article. You go digital. Well, You've gone digital. Well, I, I looked at him with a sort of blank expression thinking, what's this email business? What I did up until then, and this was for many years, I would write with a biro um, an article of about 300 words every week, and then I would get a, a hard copy photograph that people would send me from around the community, and then I would... Um, attach them together or put them in an envelope and slip them under the door, under the editor's door. (laughs) Now, I did that for 20 years, (laughs) and I thought that that was what you did. And then um, he would send my copy back to me, and my wife would file it. Uh, It was filed. Um, And I thought all this paper was piling up. 20 years for um, an article every week for 20 years. So there's a great pile of, of paper. And then, and then he, said, he said, well, now we're going to email, so there'll be no more paper. I said, look, I'm terribly sorry, but I can't do this email thing. Anyway, he said, unless you do, you, you, we can't help it. You know, we, we have to get somebody else. So I ended up learning we have Word. Like, Word's a wonderful thing, you know. <laughs> I... I I learnt Word and I've learnt email, so I've made giant steps in that field. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. Then, so you, you reckon that you, when you were told to cut and paste, you got out the scissors and some Perkins paste? I did. That's exactly what I did. But then I, my wife said to me, look, with all this paper that we, we've accumulated after the last 20 years, she said, what do you want me to do with it? I said, throw it in the incinerator. Anyway, she said, why don't you put it in a book? A book? Well, I'm not going to write a book. I've never written a book. Why should I write a book? She said, well, you know, to keep a record of it. So I said, oh, well, that's not such a bad idea. 
So I started to sort of get my old photos back and then uh, put them in some sort of an order and, and I called it uh, Stinkers Something Fishy. And so I printed this book and it was printed in Newcastle. I don't know how many copies I did, of 500 or something, I can't even remember. This is such a long time ago. And anyway, um, they sold pretty well. And I said, gee, that's all right, you know, I had a bit of fun doing that. So I then, uh, while I had written this fishing book on how to catch fish and where to catch them and a few stories that I've told you, then um, I had been to Broughton Island and my son had written an assignment on Broughton Island. And anyway, he never get to finish it. And it lay under the bed for many years, like eight years. And then for one day, and blow me, I have got no idea what, I pulled that assignment out and said, I'm going to finish this. And I ended up writing a book called Broughton Islanders. And that's the most popular book I've ever written. I've sold, um, I don't know, 2015, no, about 10 to 15,000 copies of Broughton Islanders. And I've had it reprinted three times Um, because I publish them now myself. And I get, uh, um, I did have them printed overseas at the time, but not now. I have my books printed in Maitland. But that book was so popular, so I thought, oh, I'll, have, I'll keep going. I'll write another one. <laughs> it was getting a bit of a roll on, Scott. Uh, th- that's a great book, too. Um, I'm in that one. Uh, that's sort of showing people that I actually did catch at least one fish. There's photographic evidence there, uh, isn't there? But st- Stinker's Something Fishing, was that the, the one that... Re- and that's the one with a mighty mulloway that's bigger than you on the front cover. Oh, gee, that was a battle. Yeah, that that um, was a photo of me holding up a mulloway, which, in fact, is the same height as me. But then I wrote a, uh, and I wrote a third book, and it was called Old Salt. And it was about the commercial fishing industry in Port Stephens, going way back to the 1800s. And that's some fascinating stuff. It normally takes me about two years to write a book. So after I'd written that one, I was approached by a few oyster growers. And they said, look, how about writing a story about us? I said, oh, right, <laughs> I will. So I took on that project, and Scott, that was the most difficult uh, project I've ever um, attempted. Oh, yes. Yeah. So look, who can eat that many dozen oysters in research? I'd <laughs> Simon Marnie uh, would be envious. <laughs> well. No, yeah. I know you had to really, really uh, research that one, didn't you? Oh, gee. And it was really a tragedy, and it's become a greater tragedy since the the news recently of the QX disease that's that's attacked the oyster industry. The oyster industry in Port Stephens is on its knees, Scott. But I wrote a rather a large book about it before that happened, uh, and it was a rocky ride too. I mean, nineteen forty, Port Stephens was considered the biggest oyster farm in the world. Then by nineteen eighty. It collapsed because of the introduction of the Pacific oyster. Then it built up again, and it was going great guns until recently when, again, there's been a collapse because of QX and POMS, Pacific Oyster Mortality Syndrome. So oyster industry has just gone through the highs and the lows. So that book, um, which took nearly four years to write, 
and I released it at the uh, Karua RSL Club and had over nearly 450 people turned up that day. You talk about the the face that launched a thousand ships. You're the face that launched a thousand books. That was a a great day. I got some fabulous interviews with Wally Lattimore and all the the pioneering families and some of the Aboriginal people and their forebears who played such a a vital role in the development of that that industry. And and, uh, the other book, The the Old Salt, with all the commercial fishing families going way back for, for the century, was at, I think it was at Soldier's Point, and it was a lovely right. day. And I, I'd never forget interviewing the fellow who came from that really tough fishing stock. Then he became a, a commercial sea captain and was on huge mega tankers traversing the globe uh, all his life. And then when he retired, he said, I'd, I've had enough of the sea, and he moved to Orange. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, look. It was right. fascinating. They were all fascinating. No, no, the stories, I love hearing people's life's journey, um, and that's what I write about. But, of course, you've got to be very careful when you write about people's families because you've always got to consider their dignity. So make sure that what you write is, going, is not going to be an embarrassment. But then another book, I didn't intend to write any more books, but then I there's a lighthouse in front of our house here at Single Bay, and... I've thought for years, I'd love to know about the lighthouse keepers because it first shone the lighthouse in front of our house in 1862. And then I'm thinking, well, who who was out there working in 1862? And it, it had actually finished. The lighthouse keepers finished in 1973. So for all that period... There were lighthouse keepers out there. So off I went again chasing all these lighthouse keepers <laughs> and their families because they, they had to be married. They had to be married to live out there and didn't take their family out with them. Well, that book was, uh, oh, that was another. I've enjoyed every single book I've written. But then, and for some unknown reason, uh, I decided that I'd start writing children's books. So I and I thought the first one come to mind was about Stinkpot, my my own little boat, the eleven foot champion. So I thought I'll write the adventures of Stinker and Stinkpot. <laughs> so that was the first one, and then I followed that with uh, again probably the most popular kids book by the name of Clarabelle the Cow, which was a, a cow that was washed out of the. Hunter River and ended up on Broughton Island. Then I wrote about uh, Kerosene Tim Jim, Demetrius George's Cara George, a, a Greek man that lived on Broughton Island for 49 years. And then my last book, my last effort, was uh, a book called Just Dreaming, which is my vision of what Port Stephens was like a thousand years ago. So I wrote that with Aboriginal friend. Um, Regan Lilly, and he put all his artwork in there, and so that was that. I thought again that that was my last book, but now I'm into it again. <laughs> I'm writing. <laughs> I'm writing a. Um, I have finished writing, and it'll be at the end of this year. A book called Banjo the Brim, which is the life story of a little brim, and I'm ploughing through a book called Marsh Road, which was an old road that you'd have to tra- travel on if you were going from Newcastle or Raymond Terrace 
to Nelson Bay. And it went through the swampland at Tilligary Creek, and the worst thing that could happen to it was all the mud crabs would dig underneath it, and it kept collapsing. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, look, I find out all Hey, speaking crazy. of mud crabs, it reminds me of Old Salt, which has got that amazing picture of the huge haul of lobsters on the, the front cover. And you spoke to the professional crabber's uh, wife, who's a beautiful poet, and she wrote oh, poetry. Yes. Uh, gee, that was yes. interesting. Gee, that's true. You, you've got a very good memory. Oh, I met a lot of these people at the, at the launches because so, I loved going to the launches. It was good fun. And um, look, folks, he, he does have a way with words. When, whenever people say fishing's a sport, uh, you, you, <laughs> your hackles go up a bit. And he's, he's put it into words in, in one of the books. I think this might be... Uh, in, in your first book, perhaps, I'm not sure, but I'll quote uh, Stinker here. Fishing is a way of life. It's just something that you do. In sport, there's some type of structure, generally an opponent and a result, a score, a winner and a loser. In fishing, to my way of thinking, there are no losers. Everyone wins a prize, whether you can catch a fish or not. The prize is the recreational experience, which can be even more valuable if you share that time with someone. That's, that's pretty much it. Uh, yeah, I remember writing those words. Because uh, you, uh, you were a sportsman. You played country cricket at a higher level. You played rugby league and, and uh, loved rugby union, started the, the rugby union club there. But, of course, you were the sports master at the local high school. So you really don't like it when people say fishing's a sport, do you? No. Fishing is not a sport. Fishing is a recreation. Uh, the only one that gets any sport out of the fishing is the fish. <laughs> I mean, winding a winding a reel is not a sport. <laughs> no, no, it, it doesn't count. But oh, look, it it um, it's the whole thing. Fishing has been such a a wonderful thing for me in my life, and it was it was taught to me very very early. As all my family were recreational fishermen and my dad worked in a bait and tackle store. So fishing was a major part. But I've always considered fishing to be just fun. And it really sort of saddens me somewhat when fish when certain people take it so seriously that they actually stress about things. And I'm thinking, <laughs> cool down, take it easy, lie on the couch for a while. Fishing, fishing is just sheer fun and delight, and it gives you the avenue to check out nature and, and to spend quality time with those that you love. It's far more to fishing than catching a fish. All right, well, you better get back to the uh, the computer and keep penning those books, Stigger. It sounds like you're hooked on riding as much as you're hooked on fishing. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty right. And the winter months when I'm sort of restricted with my uh, fishing activity and the weather's bad and the cold wind blowing and the rain belts down, I get into a little corner of the house which has got a nice little warm heater and I can rattle away on the typewriter and turn out another book. All right, good luck with that, Stinker. Thanks for talking to us again. Hello. The Big Fish on ABC Radio. All roads lead to the Central West out the back of beautiful Bathurst for the second season of the great Winburndale Trout Muster, as seen on ABC Landline, along with Operation Bring Back the Macca to the Macquarie River catchment. Luke Pierce is there with a great band of 
fishing people, <laughs> a conservationist. Good morning, Luke. Morning, Scotty. How are you? I'm very well. Of course, Luke is a fisheries manager with New South Wales DPI Fisheries and also uh, one of the people charged with bringing back the Macca, the Macquarie Perch, to the Macquarie River catchment where it was first identified by the Europeans. And the great Winburndale Trout Muster Season 2 is, is underway, I believe. Matt Hansen and a whole swag of great fishing people are there. Yeah, it's well underway, Scotty. We're in the swing of it, mate. It's... Um and it's really exciting. We've got a great bunch of people here. So we've, we've stepped it up this year. So last year was our first first effort to try and um, remove some of the trout from the Windmondale system where we're trying to re-establish Macquarie Perch back into their spiritual home in the Macquarie catchment. And, um, yeah, we've, we, because of the success we had last year, we were overwhelmed by the support from some of the local angling groups like the Central Acclimatisation Society um, and the Inland Waterways Network from Dubbo and Ozfish. So we've got a whole bunch of wreck anglers that come down this weekend to help us try and um, translocate trout out of the system, um, take them from somewhere where they're not accessible to, to fishermen because um, the Windmendale catchment where we're, where we're getting them from at the moment is a closed catchment and, and part of Bathurst water supply, so it's no public access there. So we're taking the trout from there over to um, a waterway in Portland, a little village just out the other side of uh, Lithgow and releasing them there where people can go and catch them and um, where they won't have an impact on the Macquarie perch we're trying to re-establish here. So we've got a great bunch of uh, merry trout fishermen helping us catch the trout out <laughs> and move them to, to a new home. And um, we're seeing a few of our beautiful Macquarie perch in the system looking fat and healthy, and hopefully they'll get a bit fatter now that there's not as many um, mouths competing with them for tucker. That's so great. And, and what have you heard from the, the, the little dam at Portland where it's very accessible to mums and dads and kids and people in wheelchairs and mobility scooters can access them, these, these uh, big trout. Uh, have they been catching a few? Yeah, so the mill ponds in Portland now is the hot spot, the latest hot spot to go fishing in the Central West. Um, we've got lots of great reports of people catching big trout out of there and people coming from all over the place. There were some guys fishing there from from Blackheath the other day, and um, they were ecstatic to see these big trout going in. And said so they're going to come back next weekend, and then the weekend after, and bring their mates. And so it's it's just a really great story, and it's a it's a great win-win for um, the threatened species, the Macquarie perch, but also for the local angling community and the community of Portland. You know, it's a great little dam, really accessible for mums and dads and kids to go fishing in, and and for you know the local community or the the broader community to have the opportunity to come and tangle with a you know a huge trout in a local in a local setting that's really accessible i think it's a great great outcome wow putting portland on the map as a, a fly fishing destination or any type of fishing you want really all methods are are legal in the mill pond other than nets and spears of course <laughs> yeah all legal methods in there you can bait lure and fly fish in there scotty and it's a really great little spot you know it's a, so it's a it's an old um cement quarry so it's really deep and really clear water, so, um, you know, great opportunity to do some sight fishing there as well, like this time of year, these beautiful crystal clear um, still days, you'd be able to wander around and potentially see some of these big fish cruising in the shallows, sight fish to them and um, put a fly or a lure in front of them. Yeah, so it's a great great little spot and, um, you know, a great outcome to see these fish going somewhere where, you know, they're obviously not going to interact with our um, precious Macquarie perch, but also give, you know, I guess, a benefit to the community and give the opportunity for local kids and people to go and catch them. But also big wild trout. You know, these are big wild trout. They're not stockies. It's not stocky bashing. So they're wary and full of fin and full of fight. Um, and some of them, I believe, believe to prodigious sizes. So 
some of them, you know, would be six or seven pound in the old scale. So, you know, they're 40, 50 centimetre, big wild brown trout. So these are a big, fit, um, feisty fish um, that haven't really been fished for before. You know, as I said, you know, the, the uh, Windmondale catchment where we're taking them from, not open to the public. So, you know, it's not accessible. So, so whilst they're wild fish, you know, they're not like they've seen flies and lures before. So they're potentially, you know, open to be caught by those methods a bit easier than some fish that, you know, might have obviously, you know, stocked fish or fish that have been heavily fished or places where they get a lot of pressure. So these are, you know, big, fresh, wild brown trout that are fit and feisty and um, <laughs> would be a whole lot of fun for someone to catch. Maybe they're all sort of swimming around saying to each other, well, it's a strange trip we had. <laughs> One minute we're at Windburndale, the next minute we're in the mill pond at Portland and we're in inside a, a tanker truck full of water going on a holiday with their... They're mates. It's a, a bizarre um, sort of uh, relocation, but they, they've obviously taken to it like fish to, to water. Uh, and what about, uh, I, I believe some well-intentioned bushwalkers uh, thought there was illegal fishing going on and uh, uh, let some of the, the fish that were to be uh, relocated go. Yeah, that's the rumour. Scotty, it wasn't while I was there, but um, apparently yeah, we lost a few of the fish that we wanted to keep in it and well-intentioned um People were actually walking through there and thought that there was some legal fishing going on and actually released some of the fish that were intended to um, relocate. But hopefully we can recapture some of those and, and move them in um, across to the mill ponds at Portland as well and um, add to the rest that we're already putting in there. Yeah, look, you, you can't sort of blame them. Good, good on them. They rang fisheries and said, we found a, a, an illegal net full of fish. And fisheries said, oh, hang on, that's part of the, the great Windburndale trout relocation and, and Macquarie Perch recovery program. But I, I hope they didn't throw the, the book at them. You know, they, did, they didn't know what, what they were doing. They th- thought they were doing the right thing, I guess, Luke. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and um, yeah, it was just unfortunate they happened to wander in there and discover this um, one of the few times there was no one else around. So, um, yeah, it was yeah. just an unfortunate uh, is circumstance. It, is it true that the Bathurst crew have seen some that they estimate to be over 10 pounds that, that they'll probably catch this weekend and, and transport to Portland? That's certainly the rumour. We haven't, I haven't seen the 10-pounders, but certainly the guys that have been up there uh, for the last two weeks have, have reported seeing 10-pound, um, genuine 10-pound brown trout in the system. So, uh yeah, it'll be amazing if we can um, capture a few of that size because that's a you know that's a Trophy. fish of a lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. And, certainly, and, and what true. if if trout can get to ten pound? What are you ex- expecting for the mackers as as they have uh, less competition and more food and uh, less predation? Obviously, some of them get eaten by the trout as well. I mean, how how big do you think the Macquarie perch could grow up there before you start to translocate them to the rest of the system? Yeah, look, you know, the Macquarie perch can get up to 40 centimetres in length, Scott. So, you know, that they'll be probably not 10 pound, but, you know, they'll easily be five or six pound once they've, you know, reached maturity and, and um, grown to the full extent in that system. And, and I think they will. You know, the, the growth rates we've seen on the fish that have been in there for the last couple of years have been really good. And we've been really impressed with, A, the survival rates, but B, the growth rates as well. So the fish that are, uh, the Macquarie perch that are persisting in there are looking really healthy and in really good condition and have, on a lot of conditions so there's obviously you know um good food resources and, and great water quality in there and being a protected catchment you know they're protected from potentially being um caught by either unwary or um unscrupulous anglers as well so yeah we're hopeful that um they'll continue to grow and and um you know in the next couple of years hopefully we'll see some breeding and i guess that's the real key and one of the real reasons why we want to try and reduce the trout numbers in the system so 
whilst you know the fish, the Macquarie perch that we've been putting in to date have survived and we've got good survival rates and pretty good growth rates, it's those, it's that spawning and that breeding time that will be the critical clincher. And we want to reduce the competition for food resources, particularly from trout, and particularly in those early life stages when you know our little baby Macquarie perch swimming around. We don't want to have you know, hundreds or thousands of baby trout swimming around in the same system, all fighting for the same food resources. So, you know, the real clincher to success for us in this program will be to see natural recruitment happening in that system. And I think, you know, the less competition and, and less um, trout that are in that system, you know, the better the chances are that the Macquarie perch will A, survive, but then B, breed, and then and then those um, bunches of bread in the wild will then survive and, and then we'll get the second generation breeding, so... Yeah, very exciting what you're doing up there this weekend. Have a great weekend for the second season of the great Winburndale Trout Muster. Great, Scotty. Thank you. And hopefully you can make it up for the next one. Tight lines, Luke Pearce. Good on you. Thanks, Scotty. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.